Yesterday, after weeks of investigation, the Democrats in the House Intelligence Committee released a 300-page report. It attempts to tell the story of what went on between President Trump and Ukraine this summer. It quotes George Washington, Ben Franklin, sums up more than 100 hours of testimony from 17 witnesses. But if you want the Cliff Notes version, the Democrats put that out, too. Have you seen the sizzle reel that they put out? Everyone was in the loop. We followed the president's orders. The Democrats, that like trailer for impeachment that they put out? Yeah, Yeah. it's compelling, wasn't it? (laughs) For your consideration. The first words you see on the screen in this video, they read, two weeks of testimony, one story of betrayal. Slate's Jim Newell, he covers Congress. He says, sure, this may seem a little dweeby. But also it does, I guess, distill it into, you know, here's the witnesses, here's the role each played with terrifying music and everything. And I did say to him, Ambassador Sondland, Gordon, I think this is all going to blow up. And here we are. I mean, if you weren't sure that what Trump did was bad, maybe the music can tell you that it was bad, you know, (laughs) because it was very frightening. This report, this sizzle reel, They signal Congress's impeachment inquiry has moved on to a new stage. It does. Yeah. The Judiciary Committee has jurisdiction over impeachment. Um, You know, so they just kick most of the investigating work to intelligence. But, yeah, it does have to go through judiciary now. It's Jerry Nadler who heads up the Judiciary Committee. He's been wanting to impeach the president for months now. But Nancy Pelosi insisted on taking a more cautious approach. She routed impeachment hearings through the Intelligence Committee first. So what's the vibe now that it's going back to Jerry Nadler, the guy they sort of kicked out of impeachment and now it has to go through him anyway? I think it's a little bit nervous. I think Democrats recognize that their best opportunity to build the case and to to move public opinion and to marshal up support for this was in the, the open hearings with some of their best fact witnesses. And now it's going to judiciary where... You have some of the biggest clowns in Congress, and you have a chairman who is um, not really the best, uh, you know, uh, discipline master, the best at maintaining order in a pretty unruly committee. It may just be a little sloppy, and I don't think they're looking forward to that. Today on the show, the Democrats in the House seem determined to vote on impeachment before Christmas, despite intense political gridlock. Jim Newell is going to tell us what to expect when hearings pick back up again later this morning. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we're about to see these hearings in the Judiciary Committee, and this is coming after 
a couple of pretty barbed letters back and forth between the chairman of that committee, Jerry Nadler, and Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel. What have these guys been saying to each other? Well, if we go back to the impeachment process resolution that Democrats passed last month laying out the process, once the process reached the Judiciary Committee, after the Intelligence Committee had passed off its findings, uh, the president would have a right to participate in the hearings, you know, have their counsel present, uh, ask questions, present their defense. So Nadler sent a letter last week asking the White House if they would participate in this first hearing. Pretty simple letter. Uh, They got a response from White House counsel Pat Cipollone earlier this week that was about five pages of uh, ranting about the process, saying it's, you know, unfair and a sham. They would not participate in the first hearing, but they would consider participating in future ones. The hearing today seems a little academic. A bunch of constitutional lawyers getting together and sort of talking about what is impeachment? What does the committee need to do today? I think that Democrats just want to have some experts in there to say that what the president has done is well within the bounds of what the founders considered high crimes and misdemeanors and the sort of behavior they left impeachment in the Constitution for. I did enjoy in White House counsel Pat Cipollone's letter to the committee, he called it a uh, after-the-fact constitutional law seminar and an invitation to an academic discussion with law professors. I mean, he was essentially saying what I think the GOP response to this hearing will be, which is boring, snooze, you know, we don't need to just hear... (laughs) These experts, this hearing is a, is a waste of time. But it is keeping in precedent with the Clinton impeachment where they did open with a similar hearing from experts just to get a grounding for, for what constitutes impeachable offenses. One of the lawyers who's showing up today actually did testify in the Clinton impeachment, too. So these people have been around for a while talking about this very issue. Right. Pat Cipollone is the president's lawyer, of course. And a lot has been made about the fact that he... And the president, no no one from their team is showing up here. But in some ways, I read that letter that you were talking about, and I was like, he kind of has a point. This is a, an academic exercise, and I don't know what the lawyer for the president would be doing at these hearings. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's that important for the White House to have a presence here. I mean, would they just, you know, sit in a chair and watch these experts have their academic discussion. So I don't think that was, it's really that necessary for the White House to have someone here. You know, they can just use as another opportunity to send out a letter that says this whole process is a sham. White House lawyers are not the only ones criticizing this impeachment process as illegitimate. After weeks of congressional hearings, Republican lawmakers released a scathing summary report of their own, rejecting most of the sworn testimony. Can you talk a little bit about looking at that report, 123 pages long, what you thought about how the Republicans are honing their strategy here? Yeah, well, you know, some had been wondering if Republicans, after all this testimony, if they would move to a a point of, well, the president clearly made some mistakes, but we don't think it rises to the level of impeachment. At least in the House, that is not where they are. They are very much at the point of the president did nothing wrong and Democrats have crafted a fictional narrative. I mean, the report that the Republicans released, which is 123 pages, I admit I did not read all of it, but, (laughs) you know, it it, it does not 
say there's even a hint of wrongdoing. It says the president, you know, President Zelensky in Ukraine was elected. The the hold on aid was put so that the president and his team could vet him to make sure that there wasn't any, um, you know, to make sure that he wasn't just another corrupt leader of Ukraine. Eventually, they determined that he was not, and they released the hold, which is sort of the theory that uh, Jim Jordan, one of the the main Republicans on the Intel Committee, who will also be on the Judiciary Committee, that was his theory that he put together. So yeah, Republicans are really holding this line that, like, literally, the president did nothing wrong and perhaps did his job excellently, and Democrats just can't handle it and are trying to overthrow him. But of course, there was this reporting in the last week that the president knew about the whistleblower report before he released the aid. And so it becomes this circle of, well, he released the aid, but did he know? And some evidence is being left out and some evidence is being included. Yeah, I mean, I think Republicans aren't really paying attention to the details or the nuances in any of the you know, any of the explosive testimony that may have come out in the weeks before, and they're using sort of the lack of a smoking, smoking, triple smoking gun, i.e. President Trump, you know, shaking President Zelensky by the lapels and demanding these investigations. And they're just exploiting that to say that the president did nothing wrong. Everything else is hearsay. Hmm. When this was in front of the Intelligence Committee, we saw Devin Nunes, who's the ranking member of that committee, really making these arguments to just look anywhere else but the president. That hearing was the pitiful finale of a three-year-long operation by the Democrats, the corrupt media, and partisan bureaucrats to overturn the results of the 2016 election. And he was bringing in a lot of conspiracy theories. There was a lot of talk about this Democratic operative named Alexander Chalupa. But I think that Doug Collins, who is the ranking member on the Judiciary Committee, might take a different approach. Do you want to lay out a little bit how his strategy might look different than what we saw in the Intelligence Committee? Yeah. So, you know, in the Intelligence Committee, we saw a lot of Jim Jordan doing a lot of the uh, taking the lead in a lot of ways, whereas Devin Nunes was just sort of uh, sarcastic and a little conspiratorial, but it didn't didn't really use a lot of his time. Doug Collins is going to be a little bit more like Jim Jordan in that he's going to talk really fast. He's going to try to trip up the witnesses. He's going to try to trip up the other Democrats on the committee. Is it also true that you issued over 2,800 subpoenas, executed nearly 500 search warrants, obtained more than 230 orders for communication records and 50 pen registers? Uh, That went a little fast for me. Okay. In your report, I'll make this very simple. You did a lot of work, correct? Yes, that I agree. So I I think you're just going to... see him throwing a lot of wrenches into uh, what Nadler's trying to do, you know, lots of points of order, lots of parliamentary inquiries. And Nadler, you know, some Democrats would say is not as quick on his feet at shutting those down as as Adam Schiff was. So I think that they're just going to, they're going to try to take advantage of of Nadler's uh, sometimes good impulses to, you know, allow points of order and parliamentary maneuvers to be voiced out loud and to gum up the proceedings. Yeah, it's interesting because watching the hearings over the last few weeks with Adam Schiff in control, he was really able to keep a tight rein on things. Like he would bang that gavel and just no, 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 no. We'll suspend. Mr. Speaker, Chairman, I have a, I do. Chairman, I have a, uh, yeah. The gentleman's not recognized. Mr. Chairman, I have a point of order. The gentleman's not recognized. I have a point of order, though. The gentleman's not recognized. I do want to respond. I allowed the I ranking member to. I have a point of to, order. I, the gentleman's not recognized. Mr. Chairman, allowed, there are four transcripts that have not been released. The gentleman is not recognized. 
Holy ranking cow. member was allowed. What to is it that allows him to do that? But people worry a little bit about Nadler's capability of doing the same thing. Well, I, I think one of the low points for Democrats as Congress was the uh, testimony with Corey Lewandowski, who was the president's former campaign manager in the Judiciary Committee in mid-September, sort of just before this Ukraine scandal was breaking up. And Lewandowski came in and stonewalled the committee, made a mockery of it. You know, he, he would refuse to answer a lot of questions. And there was one really excruciating moment with Nadler specifically, where Nadler asked him a very just basic question, like, you met with the president on this date. And Lewandowski said, oh, I need to see the page in the Mueller report where it says that. 2017, you met alone in the Oval Office with the president. Could you read the exact language of the report, sir? I don't have it available to me. I don't think I need to do that, and I have limited time. Did you meet alone with the president on that date? Congressman, I'd like you to refresh my memory by providing a copy of the report so I can follow along. Hey, you don't have a copy with you? I don't have a copy of the report, Congressman. And then Collins would chime in about how Nadler couldn't stop the clock during all this. Once the questions asked, Mr. Chairman, the clock should start. Right under overview, second line. Parliamentary inquiry, Mr. Chairman. The gentleman... One of order. The witness has the time in one of order. Nadler seemed to get a little bit flustered. So it took three minutes for Nadler to get Lewandowski to sort of admit that he met with Trump on this specific day. And that's, I think, what Democrats are a little worried about is just that he he could allow the the works to get gummed up. And he also has to deal with a much larger uh, committee. I mean, there are, I think, 23 people on the Intelligence Committee. There are 41 people on the Judiciary Committee. So like double. Yeah, nearly double. And you also have a lot more, um, you know, you have a lot more showboats, I guess you could say, on the Judiciary Committee who might want to jump in and try to gum up Nadler. So I think, you know, it's not that Nadler is necessarily uniquely bad at this or something. I think it's just a difficult job uh, in general to try to keep an impeachment hearing, something that polarizing on track when you have such a, a difficult committee to manage. So there are a lot of cats to herd and there are more yeah. like outdoor cats on this committee <laughs> versus <laughs> more indoor feral cats. cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the lawyers who are testifying because it's kind of interesting. I was looking at the lineup and for people who read or listen to Slate, there are a lot of familiar people who are going to be up there. First up, this guy, Noah Feldman. We've had him as a guest on the show before. He's most famously known as as the guy who went and worked on Iraq's constitution for President George W. Bush. When he was very young, right? I mean, Very young. Um, And to me, I saw him on this list and I was like, in the before times, this would be like a conciliatory move for the Democrats towards the Republicans. Like, look, we have this guy who's sort of a neutral figure who Republicans have trusted, but I'm not sure that's going to come off this way this time around. Uh, yeah, Noah Feldman is someone who is ex- extremely well-credentialed and isn't an especially partisan person, but he has a lot of expertise on impeachment and he has written some opinion columns um, that show he's quite concerned about this. So, you know, it, he might be a very good witness for For Democrats in this case, he's not someone who can be slammed as a partisan, but who is deeply troubled uh, about what President Trump has done and and knows his stuff. Yeah, there's someone else on this list who also caught my eye, which is um, her name is Pamela Carlin. She's from Stanford. 
And she caught my eye because I'd heard her on a Slate podcast on Amicus, I think it was last month, because she was just arguing in front of the Supreme Court in favor of gay rights, basically saying you can't be fired for being gay because it's a, it's sex discrimination. And the reason why I was struck by the fact that she was on this list was not only because she's been talked about as a potential Supreme Court justice herself, which is interesting, but because she joked with the Supreme Court justices when she was up there. Like she made an SNL reference. <laughs> she referred to its pat in answering one of the questions, which the justices did not get, by the way, but got sort of laughs from the crowd. But it struck me that she might be a good witness in the same way Fiona Hill was, in that she won't take a lot of guff from people who are looking to push her around. Yeah, and it might help Democrats just in terms of uh keeping interest in this hearing, you know, so it doesn't just become the sort of uh, academic seminar that Republicans are portraying it as. Yeah. Jonathan Turley is the Republican choice. And he's this sort of interesting guy. He testified in favor of Clinton's impeachment, you know, a few years back. But he also just wrote an article that was called How the Democrats Can Build a Better Case for Impeachment. So I guess he's sort of neutral a little bit. But his main advice was you need to get firsthand witnesses, which is interesting because it's not that the Democrats don't want firsthand witnesses. They're just being prevented from getting them. You know, he's been in the public spotlight for a while. His politics can be a little all over the place, depending on the time. Uh, He's I mean, he's pretty libertarian overall. But, uh, you know, he, he was quite critical of certain aspects of the Bush presidency, torture. And now he is he's sort of come out criticizing a lot of a lot of things Democrats have done. Um, and I, I think that's why Republicans are bringing him on, because he's, you know, I think on this particular case, uh, pretty close to their position. This hearing with the constitutional scholars, it seems like a way for Democrats to continue with the inquiry carefully. But they don't have a lot of time if they want to vote on impeachment by Christmas. Jim says it's going to be a mad dash. The House of Representatives has already extended its session by a week. It wasn't supposed to be there until December 20th, but they will be. I know. God. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Jim. No vacation for you. Well, I don't know if I'm ever going to leave the Capitol because the 20th is going to be sort of the apocalypse. I mean— The 20th is going to be the apocalypse. (laughs) It's going to be the apocalypse because we have—that's the the government funding deadline, and that's that's when it looks like they'll probably vote on impeachment if they're able to get it done beforehand— uh, and it's also the day that the new Star Wars movie comes out. So, like, everything's <laughs> happening on December 20th. And we got one of these um, one of these very chilling notes from the, the majority leader's office that says, changing the schedule, and it says, we will now be going till Friday, December 20th, and members should be advised that votes are possible after 3 p.m., which is, <laughs> you know. Don't book your flights. Right, which... Don't book your flights. And also, you're going to be here till four in the morning, maybe. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a sprint. Can you just lay out the dance moves they're going to have to do over the next three weeks to get this finished? It's a pretty clear schedule of what you do. They're going to have this, you know, academic seminar with the law professors first. And then they would give, you know, the president a day or, you know, at least a session with his lawyers to make their case against it. And then they would go to drafting and amending and marking up uh, specific articles. They would vote it out of committee. They debate on the floor and then vote out of the floor. It's just something that, 
you know, especially with, when you want to give people enough notice to prepare their arguments and you want to space out hearings, that's usually what makes us take a while. Two and a half weeks is, especially when there are no more hearings scheduled for this very week, I mean, that's really quite condensed. So, you know, we'll see if there's any pressure, you know, if there's any pressure from the public or within the caucus to space this out over Christmas. But Democrats have never announced a timetable because you never announce a timetable if you're not completely sure. But it's pretty clear the marching orders are to get this done before Christmas. It just seems like it's going to it's going to feel pretty rushed. Jim Newell, thank you so much for joining me. Okay, thank you. Jim Newell covers Congress for Slate. He's our senior politics writer. And that's the show. If you're looking for something else to listen to right now, I highly recommend listening to those lawyers who are about to testify on Capitol Hill. Go into What Next archives and look for Noah Feldman. We talked to him back in January about Bill Barr. And again, in May. Then you can go check out Dahlia Lithwick's Amicus podcast, where you can hear Pamela Carlin and Michael Gearhart. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Danielle Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. I'm Mary Harris. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.